I invite you to remain standing as we attend to the reading of God's Word, very familiar words from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless to us this reading of his word, and to him be all praise and honor and glory now and always. Amen. You may be seated. So it became official uh, earlier this month. Uh, Scottsdale is designed to be a blue zone community. And some of you are asking, what is a blue zone community? Those are those communities around the world that are particularly good at promoting human uh, life and longevity. It started several years ago. They noticed that there were five cities around the world that were good at pr promoting human longevity, and they had the most or the highest concentration of people that were 100 years old and older. So they said, why is that? Why these five cities? What's unique about them? And a lot of data was uh, amassed, a lot of numbers were crunched, and they identified nine factors that are crucial for promoting long life. And among those is being part of a religious community. So uh, uh, thanks for everybody for coming and being part of worship today. And as a bonus prize, you get four to 14 years added to your lifespan. So <laughs> there you go. Now why this works is because most people, the vast majority of people, spend 90% of their lives within a five mile radius or a 15-minute drive of where they live. Almost all of your life, almost all of my life, is in that little bubble. So if you affect things within that bubble, you can promote uh, long life among people. And uh, I've noted this uh, information about nine months. I thought, this is great. You know, we, we can do these things, make adjustments here in Scottsdale, and we can live a little bit longer. This is great. And then I remembered another study. It's also within 15 minutes of your home that most auto accidents take place. <laughs> So what's familiar can work two ways. You know, it, it can be a good thing. It can promote uh, uh, good things in our lives that help us live longer. But it can also make us um, unattentive to things when we become too familiar with uh, certain things around us. And that's what we're trying to deal with in this very familiar passage of Scripture, Psalm 23. How many people have heard Psalm 23 before? Anybody here? A few people. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it's so familiar to us. We, we hear the words so often in our lives that we can tune it out. And, and so we're going to try to figure out some way this morning of trying to open it up in some fresh ways. Now, we are doing Psalm 23 because we're in the midst of a sermon series where we're using as our prompt different lines from the children's song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And the title of the sermon series is This I Know, Profound Truths of a Simple Hymn. So we started the first week of the series with Jesus loves me and looked at John 3.16. And then we looked at the phrase, this I know, how do we know God really loves us? And then for the Bible tells me so how scripture informs that knowledge. 
little ones to him belong? What does it mean to be part of God's family, to find our belonging, our identity in Christ? And then when they are weak, he is strong, the, the, the strength and the power that uh, God gives us in our lives. And after those five weeks, we learned another profound truth of this simple little hymn, that is it has more than one verse. So it has three verses. So two weeks ago, Pastor Steve started opening up about uh, that verse that says, Jesus who died, heaven gates are open wide. How uh, Jesus, uh, through his death, has brought new life to us. And then he will wash away my sins, that God really can forgive us. And we don't have to live lives of guilt. So today we're looking at uh, another verse that says, he will stay close beside me all the way. Again, nine words. So the official title of the sermon is 18 words long. This I know, profound truths of a simple hymn, he will stay close beside me all that way. It's the longest sermon title of my life, so thank you, Pastor Steve, for that. Appreciate that. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a good biblical word that helps us summarize those 18 words, and that biblical word is Emmanuel. Im is the Hebrew word for with. Imanu means with us, and El, God. Emmanuel, God, is with us. Jesus will stay close beside you and me all of the way, all of our days. So that will be helpful to us. Uh, also, we begin with this marvelous analogy of God being like a shepherd in our lives, and it's a, an image that we encounter again and again as we read Scripture. Twice in the book of Genesis, we uh, find that language used of God being our shepherd. Again, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 80, we have uh, a, a cry that goes out to God as the shepherd of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 34, there's this marvelous passage where God is saying, no, I myself will look for my sheep. I'm not going to send somebody else. And it come, uh, uh, has a pinnacle in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And for us who follow Jesus, then that links forever in our minds, Psalm 23 and Jesus. So that great imagery we start the psalm that way, but it breaks down at some point because in verse 5 it, it tells us, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you, you don't want to feed sheep from the table because it spoils them. You know, they end up begging all the time. They become real obnoxious. So, you know, at some point the, the imagery is changing. Uh, in fact, uh, some people that study scripture identify really there's three different images that are used in Psalm 23. Uh, the first three verses, of course, is the sheep and the shepherd. And then the middle verse is about a traveler and a companion, really. And the last two verses are about a house, a host, and the guests of that host. Now, that's not the only way to look at this uh, psalm, but because it's so familiar, we have to try something this morning, kind of look at it in a different way in order to see if we can draw up new things from that. So the setting remains the Judean wilderness, and we'll talk about that a bit. Uh, but we'll try these three different images. And as we use those three different images, we notice that the psalm is talking about three different things. Uh, God's presence with us, Emmanuel. It affects our view of who God is, God's nature. It also affects our view of ad adversity, the tough times in life and how we face them. And it affects our sense of our life being a life of blessing and how that changes our perspective as we go through our days. So that's the approach that we'll take today. Is, is that fair to say let's try something a little bit different? Is that all right? Everybody okay with that? Okay. So we start with Emmanuel, the nature of God. What is this psalm trying to teach us about God's nature? 
And the first thing it declares is that God is sufficient in our lives. As that marvelous open, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. And it's remarkable in two ways. First, this idea that God really wants to be part of our lives, have a close relationship with us. And then that because of that close relationship with God, I don't view my life in terms of scarcity. I view my life in terms of abundance. And there's many places in Scripture where we encounter the sense that God really likes us. God loves us, but God likes us. God wants to spend time with us. Uh, some of my favorite verses that talk about this are Deuteronomy 31, the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Or from Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. Or from the beginning of the book of Joshua, the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And of course, from the end of uh, Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, surely I am with you always. God loves us, but God likes us. God likes spending time with us. God wants to be part of our lives on a daily basis. And that changes the way we look at our own lives. Uh, the great uh, discourse, the Last Supper discourse, we find in the Gospel of John that goes on for several chapters. It's the place in Scripture where Jesus promises the Holy Spirit will be sent, the very presence of God will dwell with us to stay. I in that context, Jesus gives these words, this promise to us, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The knowledge that God has come to be in our lives to stay, to remain, to be present, to be God, Emmanuel for us means I don't have to be afraid. My life is full. God is sufficient for me. And not only do we find a God here that is sufficient for us, we find a God that provides. And here we have what Jesus later echoes in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, remember that God provides for your needs. Remember the lilies of the field. They're, they are not reaping or sowing, and yet God has arrayed them in such a way that not even Solomon in his glory was as beautiful as the wildflowers. Or think of the birds. They, they don't punch in the time clock, and yet God feeds them, and therefore you don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or how you will clothe yourselves because God knows you need those things and God will provide those things. And here we have that sense of God being the provider. Uh, the name of God in Genesis 22 is Yauha Yireh, God provides. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. So green pastures, so this is a desert setting, the Judean wilderness, so let me show you what uh, green pasture looks like in the Judean wilderness. There it is, that's the whole thing. And uh, the Judean wilderness is right on the uh, watershed of the country, so very quickly as you leave Bethlehem, you move from uh, 27 inches of rain per year to less than five inches of rain per year. Very dif different environment, desert environment that we know about here in Arizona quite well. Uh, but you do see uh, some uh, greening up that happens in the wilderness, just like we see that here in our desert valley. And you see it after there's been a hard rain. You look at Camelback Mountain or Mummy Mountain or the Phoenix Preserve, and you'll notice that there's a green hue about two days after there's a hard rain. 
That's because uh, there are plants there, they, they green up for a while, and shepherds know this. So the shepherd knows where to take the sheep so they can get that nourishment. It's a green pasture, but it's a little bit at a time, so you have to keep on depending on the shepherd, like we need to keep on depending on God for God's provision. And though it's a desert, there are some uh, strong springs there. This is the strongest spring in the Gideon Desert. This is Ein um, Farah, uh, or in Hebrew, uh, uh, instead of Faran, it's Paran. And this uh, used to supply the water for Easter Jerusalem in the middle of the uh, 20th, 20th century. And I've hiked out to the spring three different times. It's about halfway between Jerusalem and Jericho. And you have to hike down into it. You know, it's a desert, it's a hot environment. And all of a sudden there's this pool that's deep enough you can swim in. And it's marvelous. And you spend some time there and you fill up your canteens because you, to finish the hike you have seven miles where there's no water. But while you're there by the quiet waters, your soul is refreshed. You say, gosh, I'm so glad I've taken this hike. I'm so glad I'm here just like in different times in my life where God has refreshed my soul, I've just been able to have the space and time to reflect that God has provided for me and my family all the days of my life. And I'm refreshed dwelling on that. God is sufficient. God provides for us. And then God guides us. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. So let me show you a typical picture of a sheep in Judea the Judean wilderness, here they are. And you notice they like to go in lines. You notice these sheep really like this. They go where the sheep ahead of them has gone. And as they're being led, they, they, they go on a particular path. And you know, some sheep get off the path and the shepherd has to herd them up and get them back on the right path. Remember, uh, not a lot of rain in the Judean wilderness, but a lot of the hills look like this. You see all the lines in this hills? That's not caused by rain. That's not human terracing. Those are the paths of sheep for thousands of years. There are a lot of choices I've made in my life. A lot of decision points where I've been on my knees asking God, God, guide me. And sometimes you can stop and think, gosh, did I make the right decisions? Did I make the right choices in my life? And yet there's been this continual sense that God's hand has been on my life guiding me. God knew the paths that were good that I needed to take. And even when I got sidetracked, God brought me back to a good and right path. Because God does that. God guides us in our lives. So when you think about your own life, who has been an example for you of someone who has faced adversity with courage and grace? Who is your hero or heroine in that regard? They've just been really good at, at coming out with, with resilience in whatever they faced in life. And when has God, through God's provisions, when has God been somebody that has refreshed your soul where you've been able to sit back and say, ah, thank you, God. And what comfort do you draw from the fact that Christ has promised never to leave you or forsake you? Emmanuel, God with us. A God who has come to stay. So we want to shift our imagery. We've talked about the shepherd and the sheep. Now we want to shift the imagery to 
a traveler and the traveler's companion. Again, in the Judean wilderness, uh, but something different is going on here. It's really the psalmist talking about the adversity that he has had to face in his life. And I love the acknowledgement here that adversity is difficult. Adversity is scary. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, or in the King James Version, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and the Hebrew can be translated equally well both ways. So, I love geology maps. I just tell you that. So this is a geology map, and it has all these colors, a lot of greens. And the red arrow is pointing to a place in the Judean wilderness where you have this green squiggle that goes through the Judean wilderness. And that's a place where although you don't have a lot of uh, erosion in the, in the Judean wilderness, because of that one very strong spring, Ein Paran, Ein Faran, uh, it goes down underneath the soft Eocene limestone into hard uh, limestone. And so you see in the top of this picture very soft rolling hills. You see that? But in the foreground you have these very deep valleys. That's uh, a valley, Wadi Kilt that goes through there in that St. George's Monastery there. They don't have a spring, but they have a well, and they'll sometimes let you fill up your canteen there, which is a real good thing as you make that hike. But you'll notice the, the, it, you have very deep shadows here, and we think that this is the setting for that um, dark valley, that valley of the shadow of death. Because in that valley, there can be a lot of natural dangers that are there, a lot of predatory animals, these are all native animals to the Holy Land there. Uh, the two on the left, the Asiatic lion, uh, has been hunted to extinction in every place except India. And then the Syrian, bear, uh, the Syrian bear no longer is found in Israel. Guess what country the Syrian bear is found in? Syria. It's not a quick, trick question. Syria. Uh, uh, but these other uh, animals you see there, uh, wolves, in fact, in the last couple of years have been an increase in wolf attacks of uh, picnickers and whatnot in Israel. Uh, the leopard, uh, last time I hiked in Getty, we had to have a nature guide with us with a, um, a rifle with a tranquilizer in it because there are a lot of leopard sightings there. And this, uh, I think it says caracal, it's a kind of mid-sized cat. So there are natural dangers, but there are also uh, human dangers there. A lot of robbers uh, traditionally had hidden out in the same valley. In fact, the parable of the Good Samaritan, he's going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he is attacked by robbers on that same um, uh, highway near the uh, Great Kilt uh, uh, Valley. In fact, that pass right there in Hebrew is called Ma'ale Adumim, the bloody pass, because it's so dangerous. The real dangers in life. And you've already faced adversity in your life. You've faced some really scary things, some difficult things. And, and I really appreciate the fact that Scripture doesn't shy away from the fact that sometimes life is very, very difficult. But in the midst of that adversity, God gives us courage. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Again, you think of the imagery of a traveler and the traveler's companion. It's like being on a hike and you know that you're not alone, somebody is with you. And not only do you have somebody with you, imagine the person with you has uh, a good uh, small first aid kit. And not only that, your traveling companion also has some medical training. So if anything goes wrong, you know, you're, you're good, you're covered. 
Well, imagine the person that is your traveling companion is not just somebody with a, a good first aid kit or medical training, but it's the God who made everything, who knows the future, and to knows, knows every detail of your life, and that's your traveling companion, and how that makes a difference as you travel in your way, as you go on in life. Jesus said courage, or uh, C.S. Lewis, boy, that was really bad Freudian slip, isn't it? <laughs> C.S. Lewis said courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at its testing point, meaning in adversity. And in adversity, it's God that provides me courage. God who takes whatever is in me and helps me move that just a little bit more so I have the courage to face whatever is before me. And God gives me comfort. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So if we were still thinking just in terms of a shepherd and a sheep, we'd try to say, well, what is a rod and what is a staff? And you look at the Hebrew and you find out these are synonyms, so it's not very helpful. Uh, the word for a rod, shevet, uh, uh, has the uh, nuance of uh, power, uh, connected with it, and the other word for staff, mishana, means uh, primarily support, something to lean on. So if you try to figure out well, what a shepherd carries, you get so far with that. But another meaning for the word shavat is tribe. And when we think about God's tribe, God's people, and God's support being a comfort to me, I get that. That makes sense to me. Often in my life when I've faced tough times, it has been my Christian friends, God's tribe, who are the ones that stood by me and helped me get through that. And in tough times, I've been able to lean on God for my support. And that has brought me comfort. So think about times when you have walked through that dark valley. Times when you're facing some crisis, maybe an unexpected crisis, but suddenly it's taken up all of your time and attention. How have God's tribe, your Christian friends, and God's support been a comfort to you when you've been at that point in life? And how has the promise of God's presence in your life, that God really being Emmanuel, God with us, how has that brought you courage when you've needed courage? So this simple psalm tells us something about who God is. It tells us something about how adversity can be faced. It also tells us something about blessings and how our life really is full of blessings. The first blessing here is the blessing of peace. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now in the first thousand years of Christianity, every preacher, every uh, Bible teacher that came to Psalm 23 said the same thing. Oh, a table before me, it's talking about the communion table, which is, oh, there it is. Or they talk about the messianic feast one day where people come from east and west and north and south and sit down in God's kingdom. But both of those ways leave out the line in the presence of my enemies. So how do you deal with that? So in the Bible, there is something called a meal covenant. It's when you 
after some negotiation or after there's been some bad blood, where two sides sit down and they eat a meal together and that seals the fact that everything is okay and everything is forgiven. You see this in the parable of the prodigal son. There's a place in that story where the father says, bring the fatted calf and let's kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for my son who was dead is alive. He was lost and he's found and so they begin to celebrate. And that lets the whole village know that the father has forgiven the wayward son. That everything's okay again. Or you can think of the story of uh, Jacob and Esau. Jacob was a trickster. He tricked his brother out of his birthright. There was a lot of bad blood uh, between those brothers and they had been apart for almost 20 years and then they were going to meet again. And before that meeting, Jacob keeps on sending ahead food. He wants to have a meal with his brothers so that everything's okay between us, isn't it? And after sending all of us a lot of food, he keeps on sending food and it's not enough. He sends more food and more food. And finally they meet and the brothers embrace. And they do have that common meal together and everybody knows that it's okay. And in some ways, the Last Supper can even be thought of as a meal covenant where Jesus is ahead of time telling his disciples that everything's okay. I know you're going to fail me at my time of need. I know you're going to flee. Peter, I know you're going to deny me three times. But let's have a meal now so that you know everything's okay. And then in those post-resurrection appearances, it's curious that Jesus is always asking for something to eat. And one time in Galilee, Jesus meets the disciples and he cooks breakfast for them so that they can have a meal together. God is the one who heals relationships that can bring peace in our life, even if there's something that hasn't been resolved in years, God can do that for us, and God does do that in our lives. God also offers us the blessing of healing. You anoint my head with oil. The ancient Greek physician Hippocrates identified 60 different medical uses for olive oil. Not all of them I would recommend today, but you get the sense in the ancient world, there's a sense that olive oil is a good thing. It, it can... It, healing for our bodies. And in the Bible context, we see the anointing of oil being a blessing. Or, um, you, you would anoint kings uh, with oil. You would anoint priests with oil. And if you come into a banquet, the host would make sure that your head was anointed with oil so that you would have healing on the inside. Blessing. In fact, the word Messiah just means the anointed one. And Jesus makes us part of that group that's anointed by God, blessed by God. God gives the blessings of peace and healing and also the blessing of abundance. My cup overflows. Now, what comes to mind if you're sitting and, and eating a meal and somebody fills your cup and the cup overflows? What's the first thing that comes to mind? You have to mop it up, Right? That is not how we're supposed to take this image. We're not supposed to take it as, if my cup overflows, I gotta mop up the mess. If my cup overflows, I need to share from my abundance. That's the image. 
look how Jesus explains this uh, in Luke chapter 6. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. If God has blessed you and God wants to bless you and me, we should bless other people. We are blessed to be a blessing. And then the psalm ends with the blessing of hope. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The, the character of my life will be a life of abundance and blessing. And I know that that's the way my life will be. And then when my life is over, I will continue to be blessed and continue to be in God's presence forevermore. Blessing upon blessing and hope upon hope. How have you been blessed by God in your life? And how are you using your overflowing cup, whatever that may be, as an opportunity to bless others? Two weeks from today, we're going to have uh, in the courtyard here um, a ministry fair, and we'll have uh, different people involved in all sorts of missions and ministries, explaining ways that you and I can be involved in passing on the blessing. How there are a lot of different ways, a lot of different things that we could try to bless others out of our overflowing cups. And so I hope that you take advantage of that in two weeks and, and just talk to people and say, are there opportunities that I could try something, try something new to extend to others the blessings I've received from God? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. They're familiar words and important words and words to give us life and blessing about who God is, how adversity can be faced, and how our life really is a life of blessing. May God continue to bless you, and may you bless others. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for who you are. Our shepherd, our traveling companion, our host for this feast of life. Lord, help us to trust you more and more and to bless others more and more. And Lord, if there's anybody here that is feeling far from you, distant from you, Lord, we pray that you would have your full work in their lives Speak to them in such a way that they'd be able to let their guard down and say yes to your offer of love and grace. And if this sounds like you, if you would like to take a step this morning to be closer to God, I would encourage you to pray silently the words of a simple prayer I'm about to pray now as a way of telling God, yes. Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, 
Thank you for loving me. Thank you for liking me. Or sorry about the wrong things that I've done. Forgive me. Come to me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.